Wow. So was this exciting? This. Yeah, this I liked it. Yeah. Did you like it? It's okay. <laughs> Are we recording? Like you started to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going. Okay. I'm wow. going. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Now we've started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should really get some coffee, actually. Oh, you can uh, go get coffee. It's fine. Actually, yeah, pause. Then hang on. All right. All right. Now we're ready. Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, so you thought it was boring? No, I didn't think it was boring necessarily. Um, and we can get into it. I think that there's broadly a weird mix of what I see as things that are very context-based within music and subjective and physiology and things that I wouldn't think would be physiological, physiologically determined. Like but, what? Um, so one of the things he talks about in chapter eight when he's talking about amusia and all these different musical things that people, some people don't have the ability to perceive Dissonance, I feel like, was the the strangest example because to mm-hmm. me, dissonance is a highly contextual thing. That sure. is not. I, it would. It's very confusing to me that somebody's ability to perceive dissonance has anything to do with the physical makeup of their brain. Right. Oh, so we should we should probably say before we get too further into this. Yeah. Is that we're reading? We read Musicophilia. Yes. By Oliver Sacks. Right. And we'll be talking about chapter two, three, and eight. That's right. Okay. And Get I just jumped into chapter... Chapter eight has the most interesting things sure. to discuss, yeah. I think. Yeah, but, so like chapter two and three are basically about music epilepsy. Right. Um, and what is it? Chapter two is about uh, people that... Was it... Uh, have... Uh, musical seizures. It's the seizures, yeah. Well, so chapter three was about having music-inducing seizures, and chapter two was about having seizures where they hear music. Yes, that's right. Yeah, right. Um, Which are both very interesting. Uh, So Yeah, kind of weird, too. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's interesting that you say that because I feel like that's actually kind of what I've been trying to get you (laughs) to realize with, like, consciousness and stuff. Mm. You know, it's like realizing, yeah, there's actually, I mean, I don't know how anybody can think about anything having to do with the mind and not relay it back to the brain, you know, in some way. Sure. Um, so dissonance, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that, di- I mean, when, even when you say context, it's like, well, what is, what's forming the substrate of context is the brain. You know, right. so of course, but, dissonance but dissonance is going to, be, to me is just—it's just a description. It's but a description like, uh, of something what, isn't. You know? Here, I don't think that things are objectively dissonant. I don't believe in objective dissonance, and so the idea of somebody's ability to perceive dissonance being like a neurological disorder doesn't make any sense to me. But it's the idea that we, our brains, it is sort of uh, subjective, but it's. It's subjective in that we, in that we all, our brains for most of us developed in a certain way that we're all hearing music in the same way, except for this subset of people. Right. But you see, I don't even agree with, like, I agree with, with certain things. 
like the so, so the in, in chapter eight he's talking about amusia, and the the broadest idea that there's there's people who can't hear music, it, that idea makes sense to me, in the same way that I could imagine somebody seeing a painting, like we talked about a painting of an apple and not seeing an apple but just seeing brush strokes mm-hmm. of different colors. Um, it's a little hard to envision what they're seeing, but I can I intellectually understand what that means. Um, something like dissonance or consonance or happy or sad or anything like that, to me, those are not characters embedded in what they're talking about. Because the example they use is people who aren't able to perceive uh, the interval of a second, which people who, who uh, don't know music, that's two notes that are very close together that in, in a number of contexts are considered dissonant or discordant, but not all contexts. I mean, there's tons of contexts where it's not dissonant. In normal classical music. Uh, So I think we should get our vocabulary straight here because I do feel like maybe you're talking about, maybe we're talking about different things then. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah. I mean, what was the context where he was talking about dissonance? Let me me pull it up. Uh, Because he was going through all the different forms of amusia, like Mm -hmm. a... Uh, like your inability to perceive timbre, inability to perceive yeah, melodies, or yeah. inability to perceive mm-hmm. rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Where is it? Um, some of those. Some of those make sense. So, so while I'm looking for it, all do all of these make sense to you? Yeah, and and you know, one thing I was going to specifically say is that. Uh, of course, you know, the, when you had the, a lot of them when they could no longer recognize music as music, you know, some of the cases that they talked about, they had to either tumors or strokes or something in the auditory cortex and the temporal mm-hmm. lobe. So, of course, that makes sense because that's where, you know, basically you have kind of two uh, ways that you can break down hearing, right. uh, you have conductive hearing, which is like when the sound wave gets to the ear, it conducts through the ear bones and then it hits the hairs in the cochlea. Right. Um, and you have like 3,000 something hairs that are each going to be tuned for a different frequency. Right. And then that, once that Uh, is hit into the hair though that then it becomes a neurological signal so it goes from conductive to sensory neural and so you can break down sort of hearing deficits as either conductive hearing deficits or a sensorineural deficit so you can you can uh, cure conductive hearing Mm -hmm. deficits much more readily by using something like a cochlear implant where you're basically acting like the hair cells. Sensory right. neural can be cured, but it's a little bit more um, right. difficult if, you know, if it's just uh, within the um, cranial nerve eight, which is the, the nerve that actually picks up the, perif- the, the, the sound, it can be a little bit easier. But once it gets into, you know, the auditory cortex and then all that stuff, obviously, as we've learned, uh, you're going to get higher and higher orders of things and and whatnot. It's going to be more difficult to uh, to cure. 
Um, and so, like, when they talk about having a tumor in the auditory cortex and then you lose the ability to hear music, that makes sense to me because this is going to be sort of once you have taken in all the sounds, of right. course, you're going to do the actual processing in the brain. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that actually made sense is that they were saying how, like, rhythm... Mm -hmm. is generally really difficult to lose because it's actually like a very distributed thing. You're, you're sensing rhythm with not just the cortex, but some of the subcortex, like the basal ganglia and the cerebellum. So like lower right. levels and of the nervous tons, system. And there's tons of ways we engage in rhythm, both musical and non-musical. Right. I mean, right. Walking is rhythmic. Right. But then there were things like, the ability to hear melody, and they mm -hmm. were specifically talking about um, one patient that had a deficit in this, I think a congenital deficit with this, right. and they found that she had issues in her the right inferior right. gyrus. Um, and that is like near, so there's something called the somatotopic map of the brain mm -hmm. and meaning that you can actually point to certain regions in the brain and be like, okay, in the motor cortex, the, uh, this area of the brain deals with moving the legs and this ear area deals with moving the mouth. And right. The, the right inferior gyrus is near sort of the motor cortex component of mm -hmm. where you are moving your mouth and vocal cords. Mm -hmm. So like it makes sense that this is the area where it's like it's involved with sensing people's pitch and everything like that and also mm -hmm. melody and stuff like that because this is I again have sort of said many times that I subscribe to the associationist philosophy of how the mind works right. and the Lockean Aristotle sort of theory that the brain or the mind is made up of the substrates of the senses mm -hmm. and so of course you're going to be um, corresponding things to uh, what you take in and also sort of what you put out. Right. Um, so, that makes sense. Yeah, so you're going to be determining how other people are, are moving and, mm -hmm. and what their pitches are based off of your own feelings of where your sort of vocal cords are and, mm -hmm. and which ones are moving and whatnot. Um, and, I think that then, makes sense. I think that yes. there's a... Melody is a, is a complicated idea to me. Mm -hmm. And so what it means to hear or not hear melodies, I can't quite wrap my head around. Uh, yeah, because to me, melody doesn't happened. just mean one thing necessarily. Right, but it's, a, it's the idea of a, of a linear sequence of sort of sounds. And again, he also couldn't wrap his head around it, he says, right. until he had his own sort of experience, uh, Oliver Sacks, I right. mean. To me, where, it's easier to not hear me sounds as musical well, but that's then still to hear sort of some melodic. sounds as musical. What'd you say? I mean, but that's still. I mean, melodic is always a linear sequence of things. Like every every music has a melody to it, unless it's you know just purely right. Rhythmic, but anything obviously. could have a melody to it. Like it's just whatever right. you make in your brain. It's just like right. if you walk down the street, you're not associating everybody's conversation around you with music, mm -hmm. but in theory, you could. Mm-hmm. Like the like the whole thing about music is ordered pitch, kinda, but it's it's not ordered by somebody else. It's ordered by you. 
Like you yeah. are making music in your brain. Yes. It's just cool. sounds in the air that you've put yes, together. Yes, you've organized in your brain. But that's right. I guess the point. Yeah. So that so, so from that perspective, I get it. It's it is it is within your brain. Right. Uh, I'm just getting a little stuck on some things. Don't some things feel subjective to a point of it being like saying if somebody doesn't like cookies, there's something wrong. Like there's something in their brain. There's a disorder, like an A, an A uh, cookie liking disorder or something like that. When actually it could just be different people's perceptions lead them to have slightly different uh, tastes and experiences of things. Sure, and I mean he makes a point of saying how when we're up until about the age of six, we're all basically very open to whatever the cultural right, music. Right. And so, you know, if you grow up in a culture of of a specific type of music, whether it be jazz or Afro mm -hmm. sort of beats or classical or right. Indian music, your ear and brain is going to be more tuned to those. And right. so you'll probably be able to, if you're study, if you're grow up in an Indian household and you're working with their 22 note scale, mm -hmm. you'll probably be able to distinguish microtones better because it's not the, you know, same scale right. even though we all are in theory bringing in this we have all about the same cochleas that are going to be mm -hmm. receiving it we'll be able to distinguish it more easily if we grow up in that environment right. and so i think you're getting hum hung up on maybe he's talking about dissonance from a western perspective right potentially whereas yeah i guess you know in some sense dissonance is culturally determined right you know um but I think what he's saying, though, is that for that specific person, something that was consonant became dissonant. So it is sure. relative, you know. Well, so, they so were his example was kind of weird because the, the paragraph here says, uh, there are yet other forms of amusia, all probably with their own specific neural bases. There may be an impairment of the ability to perceive dissonance. The discordant sound produced by a major second, for example, something that is normally recognized as, and reacted to even by infants. I mean, I don't think a major second, even in Western classical music, is in all situations dissonant. Well, I mean, there's yeah. gazillions of examples of, like, suspended second chords that are not dissonant at all. But that's a second chord. So there's other things. He's, I think, just talking about the two fre frequencies in isolation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that it's, it's by definition always dissonant. And so I don't and know the, what this reaction. And the reason that it's used is because of the dissonance. You're taking, you're suspending it to then be resolved into something. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes not. It just depends sure. on the context. Yes, but of yes. course, of course. But uh, I, you're bringing up the case of a... You're bringing up a more complicated case. You're bringing up a the, the case of a chord. And he's just talking about playing those two frequencies, right? right? Well, and, the, those two yeah. pitches. Yeah. Well, but what are pitches? They're frequencies. Kind, yeah. What do you no. mean, kind of? <laughs> uh, I mean, so a tone is a frequency... A pitch, especially a musical pitch, is like a thousand frequencies. Yeah, you have the harmonic, but that's what I'm. I guess I'm saying is that I think he's talking about a frequency in isolation, not right. like because but again, then, this is what he's saying is that timbre is exactly what you're talking about. It is not just that you know central. It's 
it's all of whatever the uh, idiosyncrasy of that of that instrument to mm -hmm. create that tone is right. going to be. You're going to have you know the harmonic register um, and and whatnot, and maybe some you know you have the third, you have the fifth, right. you have the octave, all to some degree, and maybe you have others depending on the instrument. And those are all going to be different levels, mm -hmm. but if we're just talking about playing with just a computer, for instance, which yes. I imagine would be the case, if you're going to do an experiment like right, that. Right, well then like an octave can feel dissonant if you just have computers playing tones, because a tone, like a sine wave is unpleasant to listen to for very long. Yeah, well, again, I don't, I think that we're not going to get anywhere because we don't know what the study that he's referencing was. Well, but I imagine, right, right. yeah, yeah. If well, he it talks. Was... About, so he says, Goslin, Sampson, and others in uh, Paris's lab have reported that loss of this ability may occur with a particular type of neurological, uh, yeah, lesion. They tested a number of subjects in discriminating dissonant from non-dissonant music, right. and found that only those with extensive damage to an area involved in emotional judgment, the parahippocampal cortex, yes. yes. Were affected, which is in the Such temporal subjects lobe. were able to judge consonant music to be pleasant, but were right. Uh, but they did not show normal response to dissonant music, which right. they reacted to right. as slightly pleasant. So, like I, I agree, he's being a little hand wavy, but in there we can infer he's already talking about a Western audience that has right. grown up. They're adults. They've grown up mm -hmm. with a certain cultural understanding of what dissonant and consonant is within their milieu, mm -hmm. and. And so, yes, and so the brain, as it being plastic, has then learned that these these harmonies are going to be consonant and these are dissonant. Right. Um, but I agree. I mean, I don't know what the case would be if you just took, like, two-year-olds from a variety of different cultures and played, you know, whatever it is, 230 hertz versus <laughs> 234 hertz, yeah, yeah, right? right? Or, right. you know, and then be like... Are they grimacing more? You know, right? I mean, also that yeah. test is a little weird. Yeah, but it could be done, and that would be the way to do it. Though is is you know, figuring out a way, or even just if they're verbal, just being like, "Do you like this?" And you know, they'll tell you. <laughs> right. But I agree, it's going to be very uh, different. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it's still all physiologically based. It's just after it's there is some time. There's incubation time for the brain to determine what's consonant, what's dissonant, you know? Yeah. I, but that's neurologically based. I, I think I, I agree with what you're saying. Like everything is neurologically based yes. at its root. Mm -hmm. But nobody would call it a disorder if you don't like Brussels sprouts and someone else does. Yeah. Or like if most people like cookies and yeah, you just don't. We've, that's we've not already a disorder. No, yeah, but we've already talked about this that there are – it's – it is in some ways to say that from a clinical standpoint because it's like you're judging, quote, disorders based off of the norm. And this is, we sure. already talked about this with psychology. And neurology is obviously very close. Um, so it's not to say that it's bad or anything, but it, I mean, he already also says how this, quote, diagnosis mm -hmm. helped people, like this 76 year old that he referred right, to who, right, that right. had. Um, amusia, yep. she would have been happy to have had this diagnosis at seven because right. then for all the cultural 
reasons that you're saying. Right, you know, right. She, she wouldn't have to go she, sit at opera. Yeah, she'd friends. be like, I'm sorry, but like I, I have a just, disorder. I have a condition. <laughs> you know? I mean, she probably should, she could have done that the whole time anyway. She could have, but it's true. I mean, we we do a lot out of politeness, and you don't want to seem like the odd person out. But right. you know, um, yeah, I agree. Though one thing that he didn't go into as much that I would have liked is the. I mean, because he quoted a lot of people, so mm-hmm. it's not like he was taking a deep dive. Right. But, like, some scenarios, like, what uh, what could have caused this? And, um, yeah, I mean, and just other sort of symptoms about them. Because I bet you there would be weird, other weird things about these people that we just don't know. Right. Um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Some a, a thing that stuck out to me, and uh, besides the the dissonant thing, was the when he was talking about um, the. I believe it was the seventy something year old woman, uh, not able to distinguish high and low from each other. Right. And that's another funny one because that is a super duper culturally determined metaphor. And and what's interesting is that when he's talking about the way that that woman discussed music, she uses the word high. See, I don't know how if it is because again, I think I think. I with, mean, there's again, there are, there are no, cultural but, groups. There's other well, but, musical cultures that that use high and low to mean different things. Okay, but because so it's not there's nothing physical about you know like if you play a low C or yes. a high C, one isn't higher in the room. Yes. Yes, in if you're referring it to your vocal cords, so that's what I was going to say. Okay. Yeah, because again, she, this person had, I believe, she's the person who had, uh, I think, like decreased uh, gray matter in her right inferior gyrus, which, as I was saying before, is near the motor cortex component that det- that innervates the vocal cords and mouth. Mm-hmm. So it's like that we this is kind of what I was trying to say is we do I think use that to s- sort of decide like high and low and I've even we've even talked about this like as you sing higher mm-hmm. you start to go higher in your co- sort of throat like you can feel like okay. ah, right like, and versus as you go lower you know um, you're sort of dropping your throat because you're. I think you're loosening the vocal cords. Okay. Um, so there is a physiological sort of determination of that. Whether you want to call it high or low, I agree that's relative. But there's a linear, there's a linearity to it. Right. But she uses the word high in description of music to mean something else. So what I'm uh, saying is maybe hmm. she's not because I've had students like this. They're not getting the metaphor of high and low in term in the same way that we are. So if I play a note at the top of the piano and the bottom of the piano, for me that's high right. and low, and right. for them that's like sharp and soft or something like that. Right. Like they're and not. That, right. They're not connecting that metaphor. It isn't that they're not hearing those two different notes. But this is where I'm saying maybe it's not a metaphor. Maybe they haven't made that connection between the vocal cords. And the auditory cortex that you would want, or in well, this but, case, the inferior gyrus. It is a metaphor with the keys because if you're not singing it, the piano is doesn't have vocal cords. Yes, I know, but that's why. Sing, but it it's a metaphor, but it doesn't need to be. Is the point? It's not a metaphor for you because you have phys, you have imprinted this connection between your vocal cords 
and the pitch. Sure. Maybe. And that's so this is actually would but, be in but my there opinion. Are do, well, there, the, there are dozens of cultures in the world that don't use high and low like that. Yeah, that's fine. But they, they use a they use some binary system. But it's not always well it's not always binary and it's not always spatial. Okay. Can you give an example? Uh, yeah, we we read about this. Uh, so gamelan music doesn't use the spatial high and low. There's a bunch of tribes in Africa use? and what South America. Use? Fast and slow are pretty common. Okay, but that's kind of the same idea because you have similar. higher yeah. frequencies. It's, it's higher getting at something physical fast, for right? sure. Because yes. I mean, fast and slow actually makes more sense to me than high and low. Okay, Physic- not physiologically, yeah. but physically. And that's a binary system, by the way. Yes, uh, one uses like like circular time or something. I don't remember. One one thinks of one of them was like thinking of pitch as a whirlpool or something like that. I don't know. Mm. I don't I don't remember. It was this whole thing. It's like most pitch systems are binary. Some aren't, but they're not all high and low. I bet you I just didn't have this confidence that I we could break it down into that. <laughs> into high and low. <laughs> yes. And sure. it's just I agree. It's whether you want to call it that, sure, but um, I don't but, think fast and slow is the same as high and low. Uh, it because is because fast and slow about, isn't spatial. It's uh, yes, it is. If frequency is spatial, it's the faster the the shorter distance. It's, it's between not the dimensional. Waves. Is maybe what I should say. Well, that's space is a dimension. <laughs> okay. okay, I see. Okay, uh, fast and slow are dimensional, though. Are they? Yes, because like I just said, a fast frequency has a has a uh, shorter distance between the waves. Okay. And slow is a longer wave. Sure. So All that's right, a yeah, distance. short long then. That that's yeah. another, Whatever I think that's another one. Yeah. What? But yeah. that's not the same as high and low, is it? Yes, for the reasons I just told you. It's just if you want to call it that. But like when I when I'm saying high and low, I'm literally thinking like closer to my head or my feet. If I think fast and slow, I don't think that. I don't think that my head is faster than my feet. Yeah, I mean, I, so I will agree that you're, we can get into a different way of, of representing it in our heads. And in that case, maybe they, these cultures don't have the same connection to the vocal cords that we do or maybe they do and they're just representing it differently because again as your vocal cords tighten they're right. going to vibrate faster and that wave is going to be shorter right right versus if they are lower pitch so it's like it's just how you want to think about it that's you exactly know? what i'm saying yes but that okay that's my point is that the the way that you think about it is contextual and at least somewhat mm-hmm. cu- culturally determined and okay. so your inability to see whether something is high or low, there's there's a confusion in that because there shouldn't there's probably not something built into your brain with the the high and low metaphor necessarily. I would agree with that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So maybe she's not seeing the high and low, but she says high she's later, like else. high music bothers her, and I, what I'm imagining she means is like loud or very intense or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say. And for all we know, they asked her more questions to get at that kind of stuff. Right. You know, 
And and also the fundamental thing was as she described it is like what do you hear when you hear music? She described it as like pots and pans, right? right. You know, so it was clear that she wasn't making them out. Um, right. As with the, you know, he talks about a person at the end of the chapter who basically I think she had a car accident. Right. Yeah. The composer. Yeah. Yeah. The composer, um, and she was she would make out all the voices but she couldn't integrate them into right. into something mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it's true there's there's complicated uh natures to all of this but mm-hmm. one thing is that it's different from i guess again the the norm of whatever that society is sure maybe if she went to gamelan someplace where right. you know, gamelan was like the big thing well cuz like my grandma like, oh, talks sense. about yeah. gamelan being essentially just banging on pots and pans and that's yes. what she hears yeah yeah so is like is she a mu- music a m- with with respect to that music Maybe. And then is that like a lesion on her brain or is that a cultural it's, thing? It's not. Yeah, I would say it's not a lesion. It's just a difference in connection, connectivity. So right. this is where I agree it gets really complicated. And so this is maybe a good mm-hmm. place to start talking about the seizures. Sure. So we'll, go, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll do this in reverse. This is good, though. I think, you, you know, you're always coming and saying, ah, I don't know how. And then we always have very spirited discussions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I'm just like, I just don't know science. And so I'm just coming in. <laughs> like, I, I have no I idea. And I could, it just I doesn't could, sound right. I know, I know, I know, and uh, and I could do a better job explaining. I think I you think. do a fine job explaining. I think I what you're saying know. makes sense. Um, but I think I should stop assuming that you think the same way as me. I think I'm doing a bit too much of that. Just like maybe Oliver Sacks was assuming high and low, <laughs> right? Um, but anyway, uh, with the seizure stuff, and so this right. I think really illustrates how everybody's brain is wired differently. And so, what are seizures? Mm. Uh, seizures are basically just uh, electrical events that occur in the brain that are sort of, I would say, disorganized. And you know, the the best example is the grand mal seizure, which is a, basically you you have. Uh, a loss of consciousness followed by convulsions. And so these convulsions are going, are going to be, you know, basically your body's moving in a variety of different ways, unregulated, you're not conscious. Mm-hmm. And if you were to look in the brain, what's going to be happening is your motor cortex is going to be firing in a just a really cacophonic, <laughs> cacophonic, uh, in a, just a really disorganized and dysregulated way. Mm-hmm. So... You know, seizures are, you can classify them in a bunch of different ways, but uh, really you can either think of them as focal or general, meaning is it, does it start focally or is it like a general sort of electrical storm? Mm. And then, of course, you can have a focal seizure that turns into a general seizure and the general, and when I say general, it's, it's meaning that it's both hemispheres or like subcortical and cortical, that would be okay. a general, whereas a focal would just be like in the temporal lobe. Um, so I say all that just to mean um, when we're talking about these people that are hearing music when as like, and generally, I guess the other thing you should say is people have 
triggers for seizures. Sometimes mm-hmm. the trigger isn't realized, but sometimes it is. And in the cases of chapter three that we were discussing, the trigger was certain type of music or right. tones or rhythms, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these are going to be, the preliminary thing is going to be something called an aura. where uh, And so in this case, the aura was music in chapter two. Meaning it's like right before they have the seizure, something happens. The other people, uh, you have like, they'll smell something. Mm-hmm. It'll be like a smell that they always smell before they go into the seizure. And then that, it's kind of like a tick. It tells you you're about to have a seizure. Right. So the reason that I think the music is really interesting, but also complicated and, and it makes sense that it was different for everybody. Like for one person, they would be hearing classical. They, they heard what, like a violin Mm-hmm. That was like kind of ref- reminiscent yeah. to their childhood, mm-hmm. but another person, it was I don't even remember, but it was it wasn't that it was different, mm-hmm. um, and and then in the case of the music inducing the seizures, it was a variety of things. It was like some people it was classical music that induced the seizures. Some people it was a rhythm. Some t- mm-hmm. people it was like a particular tone. And this all makes sense that it would be so variable because it's, again, our brains are highly wired very differently as right. we get older. And so, of course, the, the stimulus that induces the seizure and also is going to be very determined by the precise wiring that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So, so, yeah, that, that I guess I was just wanted to say all that because it was also making me think how... I wonder if you could actually, because again, uh, you could train yourself out of this Mm. somehow by, you just need to change the wiring of the brain, right? Which is why, um, I don't, you know, there's a variety of ways you could do that, uh, but one way would be potentially like, and again, it wouldn't be, I don't even want to say actually, let me not get into that. Oh no. Uh, well, because it's like, I'm not trying, this is not medical advice and, and uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but I think that's why people would use like electroshock therapy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Now, the way we treat seizures more and more are putting an electrode in the, the brain where the focal, the, the, if you can determine where the seizure is starting, you can put an electrode in Whoa. to sort of try to discharge it. Because it's wow. like it's it's like a it's a cascade, or what's the word? On, you know, it's like if you can stop it from propagating the electrical impulse from propagating in mm-hmm. that particular right. wave, you can you can kind of stop mm. the seizure from occurring right. but it's like somehow the brain gets this one connection that's really long that ends up sort of firing all these other neurons at once in an uncontrolled manner that's how i think about seizures right. and so if you can somehow change that connectivity then you can stop the seizure from happening right um that's cool yeah yeah it is yeah it is cool i had no idea yeah, yeah. um so one thing I was thinking when I when when you were just talking now, uh, especially with, with something like a, a musical trigger, yeah. What I was thinking about is how when you're practicing music, how you can sort of inadvertently practice a mistake, yes, and get really really good at doing that mistake, yes, yes. 
is that is that a uh, is that a plausible thing that could be happening where like their brain has sort of a seizure has happened and it's it's some trigger is sort of triggering that code to run that sort of mistake code where the brain is kind of like malfunctioning or something like that and and the they're they're caught in like the brain has learned that that's a thing to do exactly yeah because so this is where it goes back to Donald Hebb who put out this theory the Hebbian learning model which is that neurons that fire together wire together or neurons that wire together fire together and so it, the it's good that it, it it's pretty snappy it rhymes. it rhymes yeah and if it rhymes it's true it's a rule of mine anything it's that true. rhymes must be true yeah I, and um <laughs> It's like Murphy's Law. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and, uh, and so, and it makes, and we've, we've sort of confirmed this at the, chemi- the, I guess you could say the microscopic level at, with this thing called long-term potentiation. And so it's the idea that the more that a neuron fires on another neuron, they're going to actually increase their connectivity. And mm-hmm. so it'll be easier to fire on that neuron again. So that's exactly right. Uh, somehow you have this connection, this aberrant connection that causes a seizure. Right. And then somehow, in the case of the music, this tone got associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, who knows how? Because it's like, when I think about the brain, it's just, I'm, I'm picturing a web like you have one web that is the seizure web <laughs> and then you have another web that's like the music web and then somehow you know one they one of these neurons up, gets yeah. connected and now as now you fire the the music web and then it it will initiate the the mm-hmm. seizure web of neurons right. um and the seizure web of neurons shouldn't exist also somehow that formed on its own too um and right. and that's a very good question of how to I, we don't really understand how that happens. And is so, there any is there any adaptive explanation for seizures? Well, like, is there any reason hmm. why we have seizures? Well, some people. Well, I would say the adaptive reason. It, I think it's an aberrant thing that occurs from how our brain works, which is why I was bringing up the association. Mm-hmm. It's like our brain works through associating things. And as we associate things together, those connections become greater and greater. Right. But then somehow we can accidentally associate a pattern that leads to a seizure. Right. So it's like all the seizure is, is you're firing a bunch of areas that shouldn't be firing and they can either sort of short circuit and cause you to lose consciousness or they can short circuit and cause you to start convulsing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't, I, I think of it more as just the downside to having a really sticky mm. mind. Sure. Um, I hmm. mean, it, in but terms animals of, can have seizures, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, I would say 
the, I mean, some people talk, and again, uh, this person who had the musical seizures was talking about how they kind of missed it because right. it was like the music was also, it was hitting another web of like memory, right? And right. which is why it was reminiscent um, of like so something so from their childhood. Because a seizure, like a loss of consciousness being tied to memory, it's just like really weird. But again, it's just this idea of if you have you have one web that is all, that like is the music web, right. and then you just have another web that's like childhood memory web, mm-hmm. and if they just get connected, that's all it takes. Right. Um, so if you were listen, which is why it makes sense that like if you were listening to some like violin a lot as a kid, you're already going to have that connected, and right. then if that gets connected to a disorganized seizure web, then you know. Yeah. And you've got it. But um, I was just going to say, I mean, some people talk about like cre- having like creative impulses in the aura, right? And stuff like that. Um, you know, because the aura, it's just like you're going to be thinking about the world differently. Whether or not you remember it after you have the seizure, though, is the oh. question. But, you know, I, again, I don't think that's adaptive. But right. I guess that's one maybe, quote, good thing you could think of. Sure. Um, that would come from a seizure. I don't even mean a good thing. I just mean like if I, you know, I, I've read that there's at least people who propose that uh, depression is an adaptive <laughs> response to certain types of situations. Um, yeah, anger. Yeah. Like like most emotions mm-hmm. have uh, at least understandable reasons why they happen. Yeah, I think it's a byproduct of the brain's function. It's like mm-hmm. because we have. A brain that's associative. Right. This is a natural thing that would happen, it can if, happen. Right. if it's if something goes if wires get associated that shouldn't be right. associated. Wires. Okay. So a separate question, a conversation that I have a lot that my wife likes to bring up is the metaphors that we use to describe the way our body works over time and our brain specifically. Hmm. and how they change over time with whatever the most advanced technology is in our civilization. Mm -hmm. So brain functioning used to be described more like a steam engine. Mm -hmm. And now we talk about wires and networks and things like that. How much of that do you see as, as metaphorical representation to describe a system and how much of it do you see it as literal? Um, well, it's literal in the sense that it's electrically, like, right? It's electrical. Like there right. is an electrical impulse that's traveling on the neurons. They are mm-hmm. wires. They are wires. Yeah, they're just not copper. They're just not copper, but they are conducting. Uh huh. Um. So. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's pretty literal. Like like when they say when people say our brain is a computer, kind of a thing. Or people used yeah. to say our brain is a steam engine. Right. Yeah, did they used to say that? I believe so in the early 1800s. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that you bring that up because actually so David Hartley, that guy, he wrote the he was an 18th century physician philosopher mm-hmm. and he wrote this uh, where he basically tried to fuse Locke's associationist theory uh-huh. with 
Newton came up with a vibrational theory for how information travels mm -hmm. on neurons. So Neat. to kind of your point, he was thinking about it in very in a metaphor very common of the day, which uh -huh. was vibrations, you know. Right. Um, because everybody, you know, this is Vibes, when all the man. great... Well, and this is when all the great, like, classical physics stuff was being done, like the spring, just sure. physics, and Hooke's Law and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so... So I agree, maybe like we'll find that there's like some nuance that we're not realizing as, as we progress right. and we'll come up with a better metaphor. I mean, people are already, I've read articles about people saying, don't call the brain a computer because it's not a computer for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so I agree, it's not exactly like a computer. Like it, it's just, I wonder what, how we'll be describing it in 200 years kind of. A thing. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think wires are a pretty good metaphor, though. Right. Um, except for the fact that wires don't have the same association stuff, whereas like a wire that fires on another wire doesn't strengthen its connections by doing that. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so, I mean, there's one difference right there. Right. But I feel like that's always kind of how we right. conceptualize the world. I agree, though. It could become a hindrance. Oh. If you, I mean, I don't even if, know if yeah. it's a hindrance. I just think it's... It can be. Because it, it I like, I like your probing thinking, right? where, where things are metaphorical right. and where they're literal kind of a thing. Because mm -hmm. I think that we, we tend to speak a lot more metaphorically than we think we do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you could say... <laughs> I mean, yeah, say, there's, the, there's the Foucault, there's yeah. everything's a metaphor. Right, I was just there's about that. to say. Yeah. But sometimes if I say I'm eating an apple... I don't mean it metaphorically. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you know the word is a representation of a thing and right. all of that, my meaning is not metaphorical. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if I say the brain is a computer, I mean that metaphorically. But not. Right. I don't think everybody does. Or yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean this is where this is where I was going to say how everything is kind of a metaphor, or rather, everything is. In, in, inexact to some yeah. degree. Some things are just more inexact. Like I agree, there's not a lot of uh, room for error when you discuss eating an apple. That cloud <laughs> of meaning is pretty small. It's got a pretty small tail. <laughs> but what does he tail. mean by apple? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, are you eating the whole apple or, you know, just part of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, when it comes to greater... And and this kind of gets at going back to the music thing and how the brain works, and we could talk about this more, is that when you learn about the brain, you learn about primary sort of sites and secondary sites of information processing and tertiary sites. So it's like vision. Sites like a place. Yes. Yeah, yeah like f a physical place in the brain. So the primary visual cortex is at the back of the brain in the occipital lobe. And then as it progresses towards the front, you go into the secondary visual cortex and the tertiary. Mm -hmm. And as you get further away from the primary, you get closer to other areas of the brain. And so these sort of areas in between primary sensorial 
processing centers are where you get a lot of, they're called association centers, like mm. specifically in the parietal lobe, they're called this. And, and it makes sense because this is where you, you've like, basically you're slowly associating more information together from the base substrate of the senses, which is again, why I keep going back to being like, I very much agree with like sensory perception forms the base of our of our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, I even wrote it in a song, Antushka. <laughs> um, yeah, and the same thing I with the auditory, it. the auditory uh, cortex um, mm-hmm. is as you go further away from it, you'll start to lose the higher order processing of sound where you mm-hmm. get to music, which is why like. I was actually kind of surprised that music was so close to the auditory cortex because I think they said with this one guy, they they took out like a glioma or something in near the temporal, uh, mm-hmm. the auditory cortex and the temporal lobe. But I think it's just the idea that um, you it seems like you have a lot of your musical memory is in the temporal lobe. Hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, just from what they were saying, how when they took it out, he sort of regained his ability to mm-hmm. to compute music. Right, right. Um, but yeah, my uh, my grandpa has a, a cochlear implant. Ah, nice. and uh, he can't really hear music anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he said that is the biggest. Like, it was super depressing for him. Yeah, and like he almost wishes he didn't have it anymore. Mm. Uh, he said at yeah. first everybody's voice sounded like a robot, so he had to mm-hmm. relearn how to hear people's voices. Right, and music is just like really irritating to him. Yeah, so it I doesn't mean, this sound is... like music, and like right. birds chirping is irritating. Right, like, anything that's a massive noise is just right. like he said it's like static in his head. Right, so this goes to the limitations of. I wonder how old his cochlear implant is because we're getting better and better. At this, uh, it's like f- five or six years old. Okay, um, but you know he actually Oliver Sacks had a subtext about mm-hmm. the cochlear implant. You know, discussing how again we have like three thousand hair cells, I think, and mm-hmm. each of those are tuned to pick up a frequency. Mm-hmm. Whereas the cochlear implant is, I think, it's limited. The spatial resolution is limited by. You can't put the wires too close, or else they start interfering. So it's like sixteen electrodes or something. But I imagine it's smaller than when he was writing this in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Like we have, we have are able to put more electrodes on here. Right. But still, I doubt we're up to three thousand. And mm-hmm. so the point is, I think you're doing a lot of digital processing of the of the information, right. but it's pr- still probably not good enough to resolve three thousand frequencies. Right. Um, which is why music is going to be really difficult to right. to hear, and you're, yeah, fi- you're not. Yeah. And it, it's more than frequency too, isn't it? It's also spectrum. Like our ears are filters, because uh, you know, a, a, a two different birds could be chirping at the same frequency, but if they if they're a different size bird, it's going to sound different, and we're going to even be able to tell. It's like you know, like an oboe yeah. and a flute can be playing the same, the exact same note, and we can tell that one's an oboe and one's a flute even at the same time. Yeah, no, it's true. Though a lot of the spatial stuff occurs in like the brainstem after the cochlea, you know. Right. So, what I'm saying is, we must be getting more than just blanket 
like frequency data. Yeah. Yes. It, yes. It can't just yes. be a table of numbers. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, like the yes, like the loudness and stuff like that's going to be the loudness, affected. but also the spectrum has to be important. Well, the spectrum is what I was discussing. When right. when I talk about frequencies, I'm talking about the spectrum. Right, right, right. Frequencies are the spectrum. Yes. Um. So yes, it's yes, it's definitely affected. Right, but yeah. like we're getting a whole series. We're getting like mm -hmm. gazillions of frequencies. Right. And and then we piece them together mm -hmm. and say like, yes. this bunch is that bird, right. and right. this bunch is the wind, and this right. bunch is mm -hmm. like. The dog barking kind of a thing. Right. But you can see how that's... I'm, I guess what I'm equivocating about is whether he has lost the ability to piece things together or if his ability to piece things together is perturbed by the fact that he's not able to distinguish between frequencies as easily. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's the issue because his... What I'm getting at is everything after the cochlea... Mm -hmm. So, you know, from cranial nerve eight in should be intact still, unless he has a sensorial, right. a sensory neural issue, which I don't think he does from what you've said. Uh, so all of that, though, should be just perturbed by the fact that he can't make out the same number of frequencies. And yes, I imagine also like the the loudness of certain frequencies is going to be affected. Yeah. And so I guess I'm agreeing with you is that there is still a lot of information that I think we're picking up just based off of what frequency is being hit at what time and how loud is that frequency. Mm -hmm. um, all of that is important information for piecing things together. Right. And uh, the, um, yes. Yeah. So I agree with that. That sucks. Sorry to hear that about what? him. Yeah. <laughs> so that, but that's interesting because I have, I mean, is it both of his ears then? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, he, he is, he's very, de I mean, it basically doesn't help though. He still can't hear you. But. Yeah. Maybe he does have some sensory neural I don't know. stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he's been, he's been deaf. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember the different distinctions, but he's had a hearing aid since I was mm -hmm. a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, because like I have, uh, my parents have a friend who's got a hearing aid. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he still goes to concerts and has an enjoyment of music and everything. Right. Like my that. grandpa used to. It, yeah. uh, it was the, the cochlear implant was really the turning point where he couldn't take music anymore. Right. Before that, he couldn't really hear it. He could only hear bass frequencies. Hmm. So he would like listen to music with a subwoofer and stuff and just enjoy the like... <laughs> right, right. Well, and of course, the hearing aid's going to be different than the cochlear implant, so yeah. Um, but the hearing aids weren't doing anything anymore. Like, they stopped right, helping. Right. He was too deaf for that. Yeah, well, and so that's another sort of good point is that your high frequencies go first. So mm -hmm. everybody sort of has some sort of, it's called presbycusis, where you lose high frequency right. mm -hmm. because just the way that the, uh, the membrane in the ear mm -hmm. that w the hair cells are on, the high frequencies are hit first. Mm -hmm. um, so 
it's like all and and then the the lower frequencies are picked up at the end of the cochlea. Mm-hmm. So it's just everything's hitting the high frequency hair cells. Right. And so those are going to be the ones that are sort of responding the most. At least that's how it was described to me. I guess I don't right. know if that's yeah. That was how it was described to me. So take that with a grain of salt. They I are don't the first know. I, ones, I, I believe you. I have no idea. Yeah. They are the first ones that are hit in the cochlea. Nice. Um cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I was just thinking, like, I mean, what would you do if, if something like this ever happened to you? It would probably be very frustrating. Be I don't know. It would be very yeah. frustrating. <laughs> just start making yeah. robot music. <laughs> I wanted to know, so chapter eight ends with how this composer who was in a car accident and then lost her ability to distinguish, mm-hmm. uh, basically hear music, right? then regained to some semblance, yes, her ability to hear music, mm-hmm. and it was due. And then this is kind of what I was saying about like connect how we connect like our vocal cords to mm-hmm. our like a, the auditory process of our brain. Mm-hmm. She was able to regain her ability to think about music right. when she started playing piano. So what yes. is that again? So the hand is also very close to. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's in the it's closer to the middle, gyrus. Right. But you know, it's I guess but just it's locationally. The same thing. I, I think that it's a it's pretty normal idea. thing. We all have that. You know, right. when, when we're doing ear training in school, mm-hmm. if you can kind of connect right. the sound you're trying to get to the frets or the keys or whatever, if you can if you can kind of get yourself to feel it physically in how you produce it as a musician with your voice or your fingers or something, mm-hmm. it's easier to imagine kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes. And I mean, this is what I was going to say is probably, this is why exactly singing while you play and having your students sing while you play, mm-hmm. it's probably one of the best exercises they can do if you want to develop their ear. Yes. Um, so I hope Although you young that. students will argue up and down about how they play guitar, they don't need to sing, and they don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine, but and tell that's them fine. They'll, all, they'll be bad musicians. Just tell they them They will that. be bad musicians. <laughs> no, uh, what's what's his name? Uh, this is like sort of off topic, but uh, John Mayer had a video that was out. Uh, it was like a clip I saw a couple weeks ago, and it's stuck in my head because he was talking about how most guitar solos are really boring, hmm. and I think it's true, and he was saying that his his reasoning for that is because they're not playing anything that you would sing. And yeah. so it's, it's not memorable. Mm. It doesn't connect with people. If that's you just run up and down idea. a scale really fast, mm-hmm. that's like cool a couple uh, times, yeah. but it's definitely not memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you're that's playing a, a line mm-hmm. that you would sing, everybody can kind of feel what you're doing. Mm-hmm. No, that's a very good point. I like that. Yeah. And so I've been trying to think about that, about playing vocally. Yeah, I think that's very good. I mean, do you sing a lot when you play? Uh, what do you like mean? Like singing the melody. Do you sing along near the melody when you play? Um, no, I should. I started doing that more, especially when I was trying to learn more songs. Mm-hmm. And actually like was playing songs where I the melody part was difficult enough that I was like, I'm not singing this Right, so I would try to work out the melody and then I'd sing along to it. That's good, yep. yep. Yeah, it helped a lot. And I know my brother, when he started taking jazz lessons, the jazz teacher that he had was really big on 
having him sing the scales as he did them. Mm -hmm. And I think he's sort of definitely agrees. It was like, it's been really helpful for that. Yep. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so that was fun. I thought it was good. So the the other interesting thing, point that he made in chapter eight about rhythm and pitch being different parts of your brain Mm -hmm. is interesting because the high levels of music theory talk about how pitch and rhythm aren't actually distinct. They're really different sides of the same thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I mean... Because, yeah, was, like, harmony yeah. is uh, the, the relationship between pitches which creates a rhythm. So, like, the, the frequency beating pattern between... Mm-hmm. A C and a G would be two against three. So the the idea is that harmony and ri- like rhythm is harmony. Rhythm is just harmony at a very slow pace, and harmony is very fast rhythm. Sure, sure. And then pitch is just one is is a frequency, which is also mm-hmm. a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was gonna get at that. Is like it's still all. I guess rhythm is. It's just time. Whereas uh, sounds are space and time for the reason we already said. Sure. That um, there's a distance associated with each frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. So it's like, I think it's that if you have right-sided lesions, I think mm-hmm. especially specifically in like the right temporal lobe, mm-hmm. you'll get toned, uh, tonal abnormalities right Whereas, I, thought, I thought right was rhythm but i could maybe i have it backwards i don't know one of them I was thought, rhythm one was pitch. i thought rhythm was more difficult to lose yeah but but he, he, he gave it aside and 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 an arrhythmia was one of the amuses hmm. um i don't know if i can find it again but uh Oh, yeah, but especially after a left hemisphere stroke, one can develop left, profound okay. forms of rhythm deafness without tone deafness. Right. Yeah, so good call. I yeah. mean, what's, what's interesting is I've, I've had a lot of ex- students now um, who I would say, I don't know if they have lesions on their brain. Oh. This is the thing. But. He does go on to say, in general, just as after some right hemisphere strokes, a patient may have may develop tone deafness right. without rhythm deafness. In general, though, forms of ry- rhythm deafness are rarely total because rhythm is represented widely in the brain. Right. So that's what I was remembering, at least. Yeah, yeah. So the, the rhythm one is weird to me, and I, but I've definitely had students, and I don't know if they've had a stroke on the left side of their brain or not, but, uh, you know, teenagers or children who don't, seem to have the sense or the the ability to figure out how to even like snap a pulse. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what a pulse is, which is always funny to me because they can walk. Mm-hmm. So they can. Like they mm-hmm. physically can do a very similar activity. Mm-hmm. So it strikes me like they must be able to do this. Right. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, so the, how do you- the thing is if, if you have, if you're rhythmic, rhythm deaf... I mm-hmm. would imagine that it would be really difficult for you to do something like walk, and your walking would be kind of funny. Is their walking funny? I don't know. 
Not th- not these kids. And I don't know mm. about the examples that Oliver Sacks is talking about because he doesn't go yeah. into it. But. So how do you teach them rhythm? Just clapping, I guess, to a metronome or something? Yeah, well, we try that. Try clapping to a song they like. Hmm. I don't know. Try just counting. Sometimes it'll just yeah. be like, count to four. And like I'll try and find it and see if they have a pace. Because hmm. most people won't go like one, two, three, four kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's a good idea, though, yeah. Because sometimes kids, I think sometimes it's just that they're they're embarrassed and they don't want to yeah. get into anything, and so they clap in a really like weird stiff way that's like nobody could clap <laughs> yeah. in time. Yeah. it's like no, you kind of like loosen up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh, that's funny. But yeah, anyway. Cool. Yeah. No, it's interesting. So you want to stay on this book? I'm uh, down to. Okay. All right. Well, then let's pick. Let's well, unless, pick some... unless you had something else that you no, wanted no, no, to no, read no, for next fine. week. Uh, I didn't. I. I didn't come in with an idea of what what else to okay. to talk about, but uh, well, well, we can. I mean, if it's up to you, we can decide it now, or if you want to think about it and just let me know, that works too. Um, well, if we go through the the table of context, are there any um, are there any topics? Absolute pitch, I guess, is an interesting one. I wouldn't mind doing that one, chapter nine. Yeah, I imagine it's going to, yeah, yeah, or even what's this cochlear am, amusia, pitch imperfect. Yeah, from what we were talking about, so ten might be a good one too. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, you want to just do that those two. Um, sure, aphasia or music and music am, amnesia might be memory. Music and Tourette's syndrome. That sounds interesting to me. I haven't read that far into the book yet, so. Hmm. Uh, rhythm and movement. How about that? How about keeping time? Okay. Where Num- is that? 19. 19? Okay. So we'll do 9 and 19? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do the cochlear one, we can try and add that one, too. Yeah, I guess if the, there's time, but I would say prioritizing 9 and 19. Okay. Cool. Sweet. Cool, cool, cool. Do, do yeah, I'm a little this? over the synesthesia conversations. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Um, do we want to call this 17, chapter, uh, episode 17, or should it be 16.2 because last episode Yeah, was... so do we do it by text or by like author? Well, if we do it by author, that means that if we do like Nietzsche again, we'll call it whatever. Like 4.25. That's kind of yeah. funny. Let's do that. You want to do that? So this because will be we might go back to episode four or five or something. Like right. That. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I was actually thinking for an organization standpoint, it also makes sense. To, sure. Okay. So this will be sixteen point two. Great. All I right. love it. Sounds yeah. good. You're also, picking we, not just this next one, but also the one after this. Just so, just to remind you. I'm what. The, like you, because I figure even though we're sort of like running around books, I think yeah. we should, I think we should keep like I do three weeks and then you pick three weeks kind of thing. Oh, okay, so I got to pick an article or something next. Yeah, or or just another thing from this book. Okay, I don't think I want to do another one from this book, but okay. <laughs> oh, you're done with Oliver Sacks. I do kind of agree. I was going to say this. I forgot reading this how much of a sort of uh, uh, what's the word? He is. He's just like the quintessential intellectual, I guess you could say, 
right? Uh, metropolitan. But not even that much to dig into. No, but it's just the way he talks. He's like, and then I played. I was playing a Chopin mazurka, and <laughs> I, know, I know, drinking sherry. He's like a modern day uh, Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep, it's just yep. funny. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, yeah. So we'll do one more on him, and I'll pick something else. Cool. All right, sounds good. And uh, uh, you, you had a good gig. I had a good gig. Oh this, yeah, yeah, the yeah. big gig. I, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, it was insane. Did, what did I tell you about it? The wedding? No, gig? no, you didn't. Oh yeah, it was nuts. So I get there, and they're like, "Oh, you've never played with Jordan, who's the band leader, one of the owners of the company." They were like, "Oh, you're should in I for bleep a while the name? Ride. What? Should I bleep the name? I don't know. I don't have anything bad to say about him. Okay." He know, if he, he's not listening, but if he is, he knows. <laughs> like he, did, it's not like he was a bad band leader. It was just crazy. Yeah. So the we had a we had like 250 songs to learn. It was a mandatory list. We 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 do a sound check. We do four songs that aren't from that list, just mm-hmm. other songs. So it's um. like okay. And then uh, we do the first set, the first hour. No songs from that list. Still, just other stuff. How did you look, pick this up then? Um, so th- they have a master chart list of like 5,000 songs. Gotcha. And I'm happy that I downloaded it to my iPad just in case. Because <laughs> I, I made a list, I made charts for the, the mandatory yeah. songs for myself because their charts mm-hmm. are crazy and hard to read and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh my God. And so like he would just say a song and I would just look it up in my iPad. I was like, oh, thank God. God. That's in there. That's in there. And then one of them wasn't in there. And I'm like, what is happening here? And like, it wasn't a song I knew. It wasn't a song I'd ever heard in my life. Uh huh. And most of these songs were songs I didn't know at all. So I was just like hoping to God that none of them started with a guitar solo. Because uh, I was just like, you got me. <laughs> I don't know what this song is. That's terrifying. It was like some Shaka Khan song that I'd never heard. Just like, oh. One was a, a John Mayer song that did start with a guitar solo, and thankfully that that chart had the the guitar solo written out, so I was able to like read it. Mm. It's just like I, I'd never heard the song. It was called "Love on the Weekend." I've never heard this song in my life. That's terrifying, man. That sounds so <laughs> stressful. And so we get to the end of the gig. By the end of the three hours of playing, it had mm. been like seventy five percent songs not from the list that I'd spent two months. Wow. Bringing. That's horrible. <laughs> uh, and oh, the best part is this this band leader wants no no gaps in sound between songs. Mm-hmm. And so he would start the click for the next song while the song you're playing is still happening. And so like you get to the end of the song and you're hearing these two different rhythms. And then all of a sudden it's you're in the next song. It's like I missed so many entrances. Because you're playing, mm-hmm. I don't know, you're playing like, uh, I had a feeling tonight's going to be a good night. And then it's like, Tennessee whiskey, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. And how would you get Tennessee whiskey up fast enough? Uh, that's your problem. God. That, <laughs> you, you don't. Uh, luckily, Tennessee whiskey is really easy. How... Did other so other people were fine with this? Whether it was a pianist and a drummer, and I stuff? mean, a lot of them are used to it. A lot of them just yeah. know these songs because they're in mm-hmm. the wedding band circuit, and so like, 
they they just know every song. I don't know. Like I left the gig. Like how do you prepare for this gig? Just know every song. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think you'll get asked back? Yeah, yeah. I, I they asked me for another. I couldn't do it, but I, I, the 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 band leader was happy with me. He like fist bumped oh. me. He's like, I'll see you on the next one. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I nailed it. I felt like I did as well as I could have. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if they, I mean, if they were happy, I didn't feel matters. like I bombed, but I definitely didn't feel like yeah, that was as well as I've ever played. Yeah, I mean, that sounds so stressful. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like, I feel like my heart sank a little. Like, he's like boot scootin' boogie, and it's like, okay, that's not on the list. Yeah. And it's just like God. another one and another one and another so, one. Like, How is no this sweet, happening? No sweet child of mine. No, they didn't do that one. <laughs> the they one did Don't so Stop Believing, which I got oh, through. And it's just through. like that one, that opening thing. I can't do it. It's too fast. I can't do but the you sex did templates. It. Still, fast. you did something then, right? I just did 16th notes. Better, 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 better. I'm sure that's fine. I can't go better, 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 better. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Dang. Well, it nice. was good. And <laughs> trial by fire. I won't say how much it is, but yeah, it sounds <laughs> was it worth it for the yeah. pay? I well, guess. Well, the next the, the the gig they just asked me to do was 475, but Oh, that's nice. I can't do it, so. Yeah. Sorry. Eh. Anyway, it happens. Uh I I I think I probably will get more with them though. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, good talking. <laughs> yep. Yep. Till next week. Yeah. Oh, we have we we have to move our gig. We do have a gig oh, coming yes. up. Yes. yes that's so right. So it's not it's not the date I said last week or the which, actual date. Yeah, which wasn't even the actual date. <laughs> right. It's not so the twenty third or twenty fourth to March fifteenth because I messed up and double booked myself that whole weekend. Yeah. And I screwed up like four gigs. So. Yeah. You yeah. know, when I start to think that there's something to all of this, like, uh, astrology stuff. Oh. So I, I have two ex-girlfriends that have that birthday. <laughs> March 15th? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay, you got to do a bunch of breakup songs then. Apparently. Nice. That's, okay. That's like anti-Valentine's Day. Yeah, I know. That's funny. <laughs> Wow. But it just means that I, you know, that's I shouldn't ever be with anybody with that date, though. If anything, right? Sure, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> nice. That's also South by Southwest is going on that weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's going to be crazy. But I, I was oh, going to see awesome. if hmm. I don't have anything that Saturday. Maybe we can get yeah. a like a, a, a something. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm down. Uh, yeah, we can do both nights. Cool. She's uh, she's up for whatever. So hell yeah! All right, sweet. Cool. All right, all right. Well, tune in next week for more Oliver Sacks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. See ya. Bye.